And we are live with our 216th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. Um, Ken still needs to change his stri- script because it's uh, CK Tricky on X slash Twitter. I don't know, whatever X Twitter. Yeah, still gonna call uh, it Twitter. I don't care. Still gonna, still gonna call it Twitter. Yep, it's fine. As you should, as you should. Um, yeah, there are a couple of announcements that I wanted to step through today before we kind of get into the news. First up is the opportunity at the Texas Cyber Summit for Practical Secure Code Review. I'm going to drop that in here shortly. Um, That's going to be the end of September in Austin. Uh, We'd love to see you there. This is the first time. I I don't think we've ever taught in Austin before, have we? I don't think so. Um, Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We've been to conferences and stuff at LastCon and other places, but we've never actually taught. So this is the first time that we'll be in that community teaching secure code review. Um, Please come along if you would like that opportunity. Um, Otherwise, we will be doing the Bellevue trainings uh, for DEF CON um, on November 1st and 2nd in the Seattle area. Again, that's another place that we have never taught. So um, should be review. There it is. Practical. Now they've got the name right. Wrong. But I'm going to have to talk to him about that. Dropping those links in there um, if you haven't seen them yet. Um, Otherwise, this episode is sponsored by Redpoint Security. Um, Redpoint specializes in code security for coders bolstered by years of experience testing web and mobile applications, secure code reviews against all types of applications and anything, including even AI and web tree apps. It also offers training to help your ground your teams and better security practices across the development lifecycle. So check out redpointsecurity.com for more information and put your company on a path to better security. Um, again, and for those of you that don't know, Redpoint is, uh, my venture, uh, co- uh, Ken is running dry run security. Um, check out both of them. If you are interested in uh, other things, we need some copy from dry run too, Ken, at some point. So my, I, I used it last episode, but I, I'd have to find it again. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's the problem. Anyway. Um, yeah. If you're looking for somebody to do secure code reviews for you or your organization, Redpoint's a good option. Outside of that, uh, Ken and I were just combing through recent articles, recent news, and it feels like we're in a in kind of the the low point after DefCon as far as new items that are popping up. Um, if somebody wants to still that cycle, right, that news cycle, now would be the time to jump into it. Apparently, because there's actually not a ton. Like everybody releases their research over the DefCon period and probably actually hides inside of all the news that comes out. And so it's, it's hard to tease out things after uh, that are interesting. But um, I don't know, Ken, what, what is your feeling today after we've been looking through the different channels? I've really seen two major um, trends really being discussed overall. It's LLMs and uh, secrets. Man, mm-hmm. so many, so, so much around secrets, um, which I don't necessarily... I mean, I don't really understand why there's like so many uh, solutions for finding secrets in, in code bases. Like, I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around that because I still see basically. Basically, if here here's what I'm seeing. Pretty much AI and LMs are dominating the news cycle. Yeah, it's not that. It's something about secrets, right? Some new tool for secrets finding or something like that. Or it's discussing SDLC stuff. I've seen a lot of people discussing SDLC stuff and. Uh, you know, some, some OWASP uh, released guidance kind of stuff as well. But um, very slow news cycle. Um, yeah, I, I would say. I mean, we saw a few things over the last week that were kind of interesting. Like I know uh, Microsoft had released uh, Python uh, or had released it such that Python could be used inside of Excel or something along those lines. That, that was one thing that was discussed pretty heavily, but besides that, it's been a very, very long. Yeah. I, 
I, I mean, it's pretty interesting. I, I shout can't. out to to Clint as usual, right for TLDR sec. Um, but if you go look like his past ten or so newsletters, the number of times that secret scanning or a tool that talks about or an article secrets like being leaked into CI/CD pipelines or a t- another tool that you can use to scan for secrets. Um, it, it, it's a pretty widely discussed flaw, um, but I'm not sure what the impetus there is, right? If it's just like where we're at in the cycle of tools that we need, you know, that everybody's trying to discover the best way to flush out those secrets. Um, because I, like, it, I mean, it feels like one of those items that we've been, uh, yeah, that we've talked about quite often over the last like even 10 years right like you know secrets and source code secrets getting leaked through different mechanisms environment variables whatever it is debug statements uh, you know it's not like it's a it's a new it's a new item or a new flaw in the system um just that we we're putting more focus on it Uh, but i can't i can't figure out what what's the driver behind it is unless I, you know, I'm up at night and I'm missing something. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. And actually like, you know, feel free for, for the, for guests to chime in here or not guests for, for listeners to chime in on, on what, you know, what, because I'm curious, what are people facing? Like, you know, what are you practitioners seeing that you're struggling with, you know, really opening this up to people listening. Um, yeah, give us give us feedback on, on what you could use advice on, or you know what uh, what you're struggling with. Otherwise, we're just gonna keep making stuff up, and we'll, that's fine. We'll roll with it. It's cool. But uh, no, you know, I mean, it, it would it would be helpful. We can turn this into a bit of Q and A today, since it's a little bit more of a, a slow slow news cycle. Um, you know, I know that uh, I think like the. the we could talk a little bit about SDLC stuff. I, I kind of a, getting a little bored with SDLC stuff and I'll tell you why, like it's the same approach uh, over and over and over again. Like I, I saw one of the articles that was released was about OWASP having a, uh, some sort of like a, I think it was a framework for the strength of your SDLC. I'm sure there's folks who find that fairly interesting. Um, that's great. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't. Um, it, it's not that it's not needed. I just, you know, they, they talk about things that we keep talking about, which is like, you know, awareness and testing and, and, and all this yeah. stuff. And it's like, is that shit working? Like, I, I don't feel, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think uh, there's a, a need for a big shift in the way we talk about how security is baked into the SDLC. This whole shift left thing is like, Someone said, I've said it before on the podcast, this is not my original statement, but, you know, it's like uh, you can't shift left if there is no left, right? If you're trying to be be continuous, it's more like a circle, right? So where do you fit into that circle? And I think I could talk a little bit about, you know, at GitHub, one of our, one of our, I could talk about a little bit of our struggle. So like one of our, our, the things that we had kind of down pretty well were, um, you know, you enter in, you've got a new app, you want to get that app assessed. Um, cool. That's fine. We did our assessment, we prioritized it as such. Um, cool. You've got, you've got your findings. Well, after that, a bunch of code changes and like, that's when the real sort of stuff starts to happen after you start getting feedback from users and you start making changes and all that stuff. And that's where, this is where it gets weird, right? This is the rest of the SDLC. And this is where it seems to drop off from like a, what we do. What we do is we run a, SAS or a DAS tool, and, and I've talked about this a bunch, and, and that's it. What, what do you do with that? Well, okay, maybe some change matches the pattern, and we're gonna we're gonna open a ticket and have somebody fix it, or have them fix it before it gets pushed to prod. And so we have that single data point, and like I've talked about it at length, it's not super good. What does that do though overall to give you an idea of the risk of your applications? Right, um, mm-hmm. it's not great. So what you have to do is then score them somehow and put them on some sort of scorecard with the services catalog thing. Great. But again, what are we doing to actually identify health? How many different data points are being used to, to assess health and continuously keep all of that up to date? I think Netflix does a great job, um, but not, not everybody's Netflix, right? Netflix does a great job in continuously securing things as they're th- th- throughout and, and doing it in such a way that doesn't require human beings to constantly be hands-on to, to help 
keep things, you know, keep things secure, keep risk low, identify where risk actually lies and, and mark the services as such. So we have well, this weird thing still. Yeah. What I'm saying, we have this weird get gap where those, those bits, like what we're doing aren't there. I don't, and then there's other things we do. We do like threat modeling exercises, which I actually think is really, are really beneficial um, when you're first building something and maybe for new, bigger, larger features too. I mean, obviously that, that's, that can be super helpful, but um, you know, we still go back to training and it's like, yeah, that's kind of, you know, like has, has training meaningfully prevented vulnerabilities. Sometimes I've definitely seen it where you give training and right then and there on the spot, developers are going into their code, finding vulns and fixing them like on the spot. That's a hundred percent happened. But if I'm teaching a hundred developers, how many of those developers are going to be like that? Right. Yeah. So anyways, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of, uh, a lot of the same stuff going on and, and I'd like to see somebody pick it up and say, you know what? No. Security, we're going to change things. Um, well, I, I like I always go back to this, uh, you know, security, right? Like we like to we like to focus on the super like interesting um, topics, the super, you know, what we what we consider to be new. Um, but it's hard, right? And it's a process. It's not something that you solve. And um, part of the way that we frame the discussion is, hey, you know we we're our own worst enemy because we go to management business leaders and we're like, Hey, if we buy this product, then we're going to be secure. Right. Um, and, and so it becomes this like cat and mouse game of what is the latest product? What can we get in front of executives to, to get them to recognize what the threat is that there is a threat so that we can go out and buy whatever tool or whatever vendor is like promoting that right now, put it into place so that we can be secure so we don't get hacked and then it happens again right like it you know it's just this continuous cycle that we have as opposed to all right we took a step back we looked at the our the overall health of our sdlc of our um, security sdlc how we create products and we're implementing something like it's really easy to get excited about a new product it's a lot harder to get excited about hey we have a yearly training coming up right we've done training for the last four years talking about security and we want to make sure that that's still at the forefront, but getting developers or getting security people to be excited about it means that that security training has to have something new when it probably would be better to remind them about, Hey, these are the things that we have to be doing right. Um, from an overall health perspective, from an overall security perspective of your program. Um, so part of me understands why there is focus on the SDLC, I guess is where I'm going with that. Ken, um, yeah, but but it, it, it's hard to get excited about it at times, especially what you and I, right? We've been in the industry for so long. Yeah, like again, I, mean, I always go back to XSS. I, I have a really hard time being that excited about XSS. I, I just right, like it's been twenty years of XSS and still alert one, right? Like alert pop ups and everything else is still it's still a thing. It's not going away, and. Yeah, whatever. But we're running into the same thing with the SDLC cycle. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, Seth. So here, here's an here's an article on finding XSS and NFTs for you. I just posted it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! No, what did I just say? <laughs> I mean. Yeah, it's it, Leisure Suit Larry made a comment too. I kind of like all. It's just so funny. It's such a good name. Um, Larry said, uh, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's a lot of practice to try and keep from shooting ourselves in the foot, but it's a little bit harder to address it at the root of the problem. And, you know, I think that's why you do see people, um, leaning towards, I mean, I've already seen several, um, several solutions. I'm trying to remember who they are, but people are kind of moving to more of like the, uh, um, in the IDE kind of chat GPT style, um, uh, yeah. kind of code remediation type stuff warnings um and i think that's that's some that'll help to a degree um for sure i i mean that's really what you're looking for is how much can we how much can we automate and, and what where do we need to, to actually have human brains um from from a security standpoint anyways helping out and being the expert and there's there's definitely be a balance and i think like um 
over the next few years, we'll see quite quite a drastic change, hopefully anyways, in, in how we're handling or how, how we're managing SDLCs. Because um, if we well, don't, it's like, what are we doing? Like we have all this new technology and, and we could we could change our processes to, to make a lot more sense. Um, yeah. Well, I, yeah. And, you know, I don't want to hype. I want to, don't want to jump on AI too much because we've talked about it, you know, the last couple of episodes. I know. But, I know. but that, I mean, it will be introduced for sure. Um, I, you know, I've got a client I'm working with right now. We're doing like an open OWASP SAM, open SAM, whatever it's, you know, um, assessment for them. And I, like most of the organizations I walk into um, are really just still at the beginning of their security journey. I, I'll be honest, right? Um, yeah. When it comes to SDLC, how they've implemented security, um, they typically have a security engineer or a CISO that's really hot on, hey, I, we need to do like uh, red teaming or we need to do um, like, uh, yeah, SAS scanning. We need a static analysis tool. And they have their favorites that they put into place, but it's never this holistic, um, yeah, soup to nuts we have to secure across this organization and across the whole development life cycle. Um, we have to think about this constantly and it just needs to be integrated into our development process. Um, so trying to push from, Hey, we're starting to actually track things and, you know, track vulnerabilities and push things through and give developers training that they need to, Hey, now we're a, a mature organization and everything is checked against the security threat and we're introducing that back in. The security team doesn't have to be involved. We have automated tools that's telling us all these things to that like Netflix style security monitoring and you know guidelines and everything that goes into that. I, I do not see organizations that reach that level very often. Um, and mm. it, it, it's a hard transition. I don't know. Um, yeah, it, because it does take years of effort. It's not something that just you flip a switch and overnight can actually solve. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but yeah. I, I mean, as a developer, like, cause I, I know, I know you posted like security is a people problem and not a technology problem. And I, and I agree yeah. in it, but I also think like security is the problem. Think, think about that. And I, let me, sorry, let's think about that. Let me explain that the security, the concept when you're, when you, Okay. When you have, you're working in isolation on, on some piece of code, right? So like there are times, and I'm a perfect example. Right now I'm working on a very isolated piece of code in a much bigger program that actually I didn't write, right? This Golang binary is not me who wrote this. Um, so I'm, I'm in looking at this code and I'm, I'm, I'm adding some bits to it. I have the context of what I'm working on in this moment. It's a very tiny piece. Um, there is, you know, a specific milestone with a, a exact deadline trying to meet to, to do this, right? It's part of um, uh, us meeting some some deadline, right? And uh, we have plenty of work ticket items, okay? I'm, I'm just giving you a real, realistic perspective. Um, I'm a security person. And so, of course, anything I'm, I'm writing, I'm, I'm going to be security minded, of course. But in reality, I don't have the full picture of everything going on here as, as a developer, right? I have a picture yeah. of what part of this this app I, I want to build. And without understanding all the other relationships and, and you know, not just being somebody who's, who's pitching in, and, and this is a very common scenario, I don't have all of the information that I that I necessarily would, would need to know if... Now, I, I know what I'm per personally working on in this moment has nothing to do with any security. There's no security implications. I know that because I'm a security person. But as a developer, I might be sitting here saying, I don't know how this app runs. I'm not an expert in security. I don't even know if this has any security implications. But also, is that person even thinking about any of those, asking themselves any of those questions, Seth? I mean, maybe if they went through recent awareness training or some kind of recent secure... And I say recent because... You know, again, unless it's like top of mind, who's thinking about this when they have about a million other things to worry about? They're working in an isolated part of a, a code base and they're just trying to meet some deadline, right? So that's why we keep saying things like, well, we need to get out of the way and we just need to give them more tools and automate things and all that because, you know, we can't sit there side by side with them and say, hey, by the way, that thing you're writing yeah. or look at every PR and, and all of this stuff. And anyways, I'm kind of ranting at this point, but all I'm trying to say is, 
thinking that security has any, yes, security is important. Does it go, does it go through a developer's mind in, in moments like that? Should it? Those are, those are more philosophical questions I feel like than, than, than really. And who's to answer that question? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. How do you measure that? How do you, well, okay. So this goes back. I actually, we have a, we had a client that just came back. Actually, we had a discussion with them this last week. We did developer training for them, just like uh, this would have been a year and a half or so ago. Um, ran all their developers, like 60 of them, through a training course. Um, just basics of security, what they should be watching out for, you know, kind of your typical OWASP, you know, web application risk, like top 10 style training. We got them on the horn this time around. And what they said was they had noticed. And this was just quanta, you know, qualitative, right? Like they they had noticed a a significant reduction in number one, the number of vulnerabilities that were be, that were coming through in their code from a SAST and DAS perspective, and number two, um, the um, the increased in like security questions that were relevant for security engineers to answer, right? Mm. So it wasn't it wasn't anything you know crazy. But just having run them through, having them do things like, okay, this is what SQL injection looks like, right? And, you know, we have that one image, whatever, that we've posted, right? But um, just having developers recognize that there is a security risk to what they do, a little bit of thought about it, and then, um, and then going back to their day-to-day job is enough to actually spur some sort of a change in an organization. Now, I don't say that that's every every single developer that they've had that they've run through. It was just this, you know, spot like check from the security team that was, hey, like it did help, and we're seeing a change in how they approach security on a day to day basis, and that's what we want to see moving forward. Um, but it, not every organization is going to have that same result. And it kind of depends on what is the training? What did they learn? Um, how often is it something that's coming up? And I, and I don't know necessarily what their internal process is for, you know, talking about security or having security champions, because it, it didn't feel like that a very robust security champions program. So take it with a grain of salt, but it, it is something that definitely helps. I mean, if you had said just that the, you know, just the findings from their tool um, coming back with less things, uh, be like, ah, you know, maybe because once you do some awareness courses, usually those are sort of like the 101 style vulnerabilities, which are the things that scanners find, right? The basic 101 pattern matching style of stuff. So I would have said, well, that's not not the best accurate, most accurate metric. But if they're asking more questions too, like... That is because that's really what it comes down to is like if you can get inside someone's head to then they like at least can. okay, two things recognize potentially there's danger and then two know who to reach out. That's like way ahead of the curve, because like I said, just getting someone to actually even think about security, who's got like a million other things going on through their going through their mind, rightfully so, just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And uh, yeah, no, it it seems a bit like. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Now I know yeah. I'm wrong. I know I know I'm wrong in the sense of we should be, because you know there's that that's there's the thing that quality software is you know secure software and, and all of that and and that's true. It's just we when you are working on a large feature or building a new thing, of course, like that's top of mind. But again, if you're just doing incremental feature like smaller feature kind of work or batch work or bug fixes or whatever, it's really can be really difficult to, to think about all of the security implications. And, and also like, you know, easier if you have a slower pace, like bigger companies tend to have, right. More of an enterprise style release cycle, much harder if you're, you're iterating faster. Even some of the big companies move to like being more agile, right. So they, they want to iterate much quicker. And it's like in both scenarios, like, you know, um, there's vastly different outcomes. Right. So mm-hmm. meaning, um, enterprise uh versus uh because i i would argue there's also some 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 downsides to to like slow release times too right to include yeah. fixing bugs that actually have security impact uh, but there's there's uh, a plethora of other things i did want to answer one question that i saw actually there's two questions so 
at one point, I would like to, even though we're not talking about AI, address Tala's question from last week, because I think it's really, uh, okay. really well stated question that is that kind of cuts to the heart of what I've been trying to, to explain to people. Um, the, the answer does. But secondly, I think that the first question is Adam's uh, about time management. And I really like that question because, you know, I feel like I'm four years old. I've been doing IT stuff for 21, 22 years. Um, I still every day struggle with, am I maximizing my time management? So what I would pose to you, Seth, walk me through a typical day for how, for how you split up your day, if that's okay with you. And this is totally impromptu. Uh, impromptu. I didn't, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but I am curious, like Seth, you know, you, you I'm asking you because besides the fact you're my co-host, because also, uh-huh. like, of all the people I know, you tend to be very, um, uh, you tend to manage your time really well. Yeah, that's what I feel like. I feel yeah. like you manage yeah. your time really well and get stuff done. Yeah, you say that, and but I do feel like I struggle. I, I, I do have patterns that I, that I follow for, you know, how I get stuff done, right? Um, there's, like, long-term projects that I'm working on that like for clients assessments and things like that and then there's kind of regular business and um wrap-up items or you know onesie twosie items i um what i what we do right like at redpoint is every day like we have like a just a quick check-in not a call but like a check-in um via chat on this is what i want to accomplish today this is what's on my on my docket and this is what i'm getting done um, personally, how I structure it is anything that can be taken care of, like the uh, like whether it's business development stuff. I know we don't talk about that a lot on the podcast, but um, like biz dev or um, client re like report re rewrites or retesting, um, anything that could be knocked out within like half hour to an hour. Those are the items that I typically have that I take care of first thing in the morning. And then I also try to front load my, my day with more and more, more meetings like um, early in the mornings I get started before I'm in a groove or right after lunch again, before I'm back into a groove. Right. Um, so it's the, the onesie twosie items meetings that take me out of my, my train of flow thought. States. Low. Yeah, exactly. My flow states that I, that I try to front load. Um, and then I get jealous of, or I'm pretty protective of those flow state times that I have where it's two to four hour blocks um, to actually take care of, um, at, yeah, assessment work, code reviews, whatever it is, um, so that I don't have to work past five, six at night, right? Because um, that's that's what'll happen is if I get too many meetings that are like, not necessarily back to back, but I have like one at one o'clock, two o'clock and three o'clock. It means I'm not going to get into a flow state for that afternoon. Right. Or if I do, it's only going to be for 90 minutes as opposed to a couple of hours, four hours, what I need to actually get through, get through something. Um, so I, I, I mean, it's a matter of just kind of being disciplined about how you take care of the problems um, and then not procrastinating on the stuff that needs to be taken care of. I, I mean, at least that that's kind of my, my own. Yeah. Like process for do you work at, do you, do you work at night later uh, or are you able to, to avoid that? Um, I avoid it most, most of the time for the most part, but there are certain nights where I do find that I've got to come back to it because I didn't get into the flow state and I allowed for my schedule to get to, over um overburdened with meetings and other things and so yeah and then i'll have to come back to it for a couple of hours at night here and there um but realistically that's probably something that only happens once every every couple of weeks to me right um Hmm. and it's part of my own it's my own fault like i have a tendency to say yes to clients and to meetings when i probably shouldn't right it's just yeah yeah. Yeah. I, I like to, you know, I like to be helpful. Someone calls and I allow myself to be pulled out of the flow state. Um, one of the things that I found to be helpful is actually just having my phone like upside down being charged, not like right in my pocket 
so that when it buzzes or when the alerts pop up, like I mute Slack alerts and other things when I'm in the flow state. And I realize it means that I don't necessarily respond to things as quickly at times. Um, but it's, it's all just a part of that. I've got to get something accomplished. Right. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I actually had a follow-up question. What's your, what's your tip for staying or for, for getting into flow state and staying in flow state besides chunking your work such that you do have, you know, at least a minimum of two hours, uh, uninterrupted, but how, how do you tend to get into your flow state? Um, it sounds like maintaining your flow state so, somewhat of keeping certain distracting electronics yeah. away from you and all that. Yeah. Keeping, keeping distractions down, getting into the flow state. Um, I, I, I don't know if I necessarily have a problem getting into a flow state, to be honest with you. It's usually a, um, hey, I'll start down one of our side quests or rabbit holes, right? And, and then I've lost a half an hour or like, and then I, I cycle back to, okay, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? So, and maybe that's a trick, right? Is, hey, I start to ask questions about, what is it that I'm seeing in the code that's interesting to me and at least piquing my interest first before I actually dive into, all right, what is the process? Where am I, where am I at within this pull up, pull back up my, you know, checklist of items that we're running through for this specific project. Um, but at the very least, you know, there's usually like, I leave myself copious notes as well so that when I get back to something, I'm like, Oh, I know exactly where I'm at. I've got VS code and my checklist up within this. Uh, you know, within this project, and I can dive right back into where that interesting problem was, um, so that I'm not having to relearn things. Yeah, I, I mean, I I would say like making sure that there is something that's interesting to you to actually dive into to start to get me back into thinking about the app is probably where is the easiest way for me to get into into that flow state. Hmm. What about Do you, you? Use music? Right? Um, I do, but not, it needs to be something that's non-distracting to me. Um, so like any, I find that music that I, that I know really well, or, um, or something that, uh, like it's hard to follow lyrics on, right. Whether that is, you know, like EDM, electronic dance, uh, classical, right? Like you, you would find my my music, uh, you know, hardcore, yeah, my <laughs> hardcore, right? Like something that I just, you know, it's not too, it's not, it can't be distracting. Again, it's it's minimizing those distractions. Um, so putting on a pair of headphones, having some music there that doesn't necessarily like it's not too high, it's not too low, but it's good background noise um, helps. Uh, at times, at times it's too distracting for me. And I find my, I find myself turning it off depending on what it actually is. But again, volume is, I'm very sensitive to volume on that as well. Um, I don't know if you find that, but if, if the music is too loud or there's too much, too much variation in what it actually is, if it's too loud or too quiet, it actually pulls my, pulls my focus away from what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Chicken tendies, aka Justin Larson, said um, he listens to thunderstorms. He listens so. to thunderstorms. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Chicken tendy extraordinaire, Justin Larson. If you yeah. if you want to know wherever you're at, where to get the best chicken tendy, <laughs> go to Justin Larson and ask your questions. Um, <laughs> sorry. It's a long. That's not that long of a story, but anyways, he loves chicken yeah. tendies. <laughs> yeah no if, i mean for me i tend to listen to synth wave type stuff to like you said to not uh just like yeah usually like um i really like uh who who is it right now i think it's like white bat audio on youtube or something i really they have some good like cyberpunk synth wave mm -hmm. stuff that i've been listening to to kind of let's like you said it's gotta be the right volume kind of keeps you uh I'm not listening to the lyrics and not there's no lyrics really right it's just uh yeah so that that stuff keeps you going um, I always find like, I feel like it's a constant balance of chemicals, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if I'm too caffeinated, I can't concentrate. If I'm not caffeinated enough, it's, it's yeah. garbage. And I tend to go to the sauna three times a week, actually now two times a week, just to, you know, try and um, 
I don't know the sauna. If you do 20 minutes in the sauna, for some reason, for me, like it really gets my mind right. And I'm able to be like really incredibly well balanced and uh, yeah, just be able to concentrate and be like even keel really focused um, going for walks when I get super distracted like on those days where it's really a, like a, like a heavy ADD style kind of day, that's, that's, that helps. Um, for me too, I don't know about you, but I tend to, I tend to like, some, sometimes like I, I'm really quiet with people because I'm like in a hole I go into sometimes two, three day frenzies of just like writing code and building things and troubleshooting things and staying up. I, I don't have the best patterns, right? Like I used to, I used to be pretty good, especially at GitHub about, um, you know, Hey, it's five o'clock. Uh, these days, because I, it's actually just because I really love the problem in front of me and, and love what I'm doing. I tend to not stop, you know, I'll stop maybe at later, like towards dinner time and then go either do jujitsu or hang out with the family. And then usually tend to come back to it. And the problem is when I go past midnight, you know, it affects the next day. And I think having a workout scheduled with someone, um, at a, in the morning three times a, a week has really helped for me like to to really like stay um consistent and not eating into my like uh bedtime too much because i know i'm gonna pay for it in the morning like having yep. having i guess what i'm trying to say is having like a consequence immediate consequence forces that kind of action um, yeah so i don't know for me it's i dude, I haven't figured it out. I feel like I'm constantly tweaking, tweaking things. And, and, but I will say at GitHub, one thing, cause it wasn't my company that I owned, right. This is a bigger company with many players. Uh, I, it's okay to say, and I know like, actually I, I got like weird. This was for new, newer people that I would hire. They always kind of like, I could tell they were looking at like, what do you mean? How's that possible? But I would always say the same thing. It's like, listen, if, if there is more work than you can do in a day, don't do all of it. Choose the most important thing and, and tackle that. Unless there's some burning deadline, which there rarely is, and, and, you know, unless there's an incident or something like that, it's rarely the case. Just do less. That's You're just going to have to accept that you're going to have to do less. But if you go eating into your time that you're not, you know, it's your time, right? You're an employee. You, you didn't choose to build your own company. You're working for someone. You shouldn't, there shouldn't yeah. be an expectation that you're like working crazy hours or anything. That's nuts. Uh, we're not a family. We are a business, you know, <laughs> so as much as I tend to be friends with the people that I work with, it is a business. It's okay to say yeah. at five o'clock, eh, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. Even yeah. earlier if you need to, you know, just whatever. So anyway. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think a part of that too is like our, our work history you know, together over the years, right? Like Fishnet or, you know, some of the consulting firms that we worked for did not have those sorts of boundaries, right? They wanted you to work as much as possible because if they could get you to work 50 hours a week, those extra 10 hours was basically free money for them, right? Um, and you were celebrated. Just, yeah. You were celebrated if you had high, high, uh, high, high billable, billable rates. percentage numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Over a hundred percent. And, you know, and then even having, you know, people in management positions that were forcing that down um, in multiple you know, places that we worked, it's it's lessons learned over the course of our careers as far as like, hey, that work-life balance is important. It's important to go and to turn your brain off so you can come back to it refreshed. It's important to have those time management skills and actually learn how to say no, how to push back. Um, and even like... And, and just because a, a meeting is scheduled, this is the one that one of the things I still suffer from is even if a meeting is scheduled, it's usually OK to push back and be like, hey, I had something else pop up. I need to reschedule this meeting. Right. And ask and be the one to do that because other people do it. Um, and but it's 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 really difficult as, you know, a founder, as a business owner to do that and to take that into account when. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, you know, that's your lifeline. That's the money that pays for things. You know, clients are top of list or top of mind, because if they don't get the, you know, if we don't do the work for them, they're not happy. Right. They won't come back or, you know, but it's, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a hard, hard balance to find. Um, and everybody has to find what works for themselves too. Right. Like, yeah, like I said, I mean, sometimes, you know, 
there's sometimes sometimes it's because like in my situation i really do just enjoy the problem in front of me and and building this thing that i think will help folks um solve the thing that i is pissing me off in in the sdlc um and so i find that fun there are other times where i still worked super late and it wasn't because it was fun and this is actually something that you know i figured i'd actually talk about for a sec because i myself have always said to to folks you know um, work-life balance is a key. You don't kill yourself and all that stuff. I want to, however, I want to caveat that because, um, back at the last Locomoco spec, I won't say his name, but, um, this person came up to me and was like, Hey, you know, um, if career advice stuff, stuff like that, I gave some of the, the same advice I give to everybody. And then, and then he, you know, he was like, okay, so is that how you did it? And I was like, well, no. He's like, well, how did you do it? I said, well, I had no balance in my life whatsoever, right? I stayed up all night long. I mean, I slept for several hours at a time. I wrecked my body in my 20s. I got up to 270 pounds because I didn't leave my fucking desk. You know, mm-hmm. my, 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 literally like my cholesterol and blood pressure was starting to really get up there. Um, back in, I want to say 2013, 2012. And that's when I was like, I have to make some changes. So for me, there was no balance. I went off the deep end and, his question was a really good question. It was like, do you feel like that was necessary? And I'm like, damn, that's a hard one. Would I recommend to somebody to, to willingly do that to themselves, to, to build themselves a, a, a career? And that's a hard, that's a hard thing to say that I, I wouldn't recommend somebody doing that. And the reason I, it, but let me, let me say, let me say some things before we, cause I think one thing is focus on your health. I do think that that's a priority and like, Yes, it's hard to find balance and all that stuff, but yeah, you should focus on your health because I, I went, I was lucky I bringed it in a little bit before it went too far the other way. But you know, I was getting, I was started, I would have had another few years, I would have started to have some serious health issues. So, you know, take care of your health first and foremost. That's the one thing I would say. Having said that, for some people, that works. Like I said, like you get done with work and then you just start picking up books, start chasing information, start programming and building things, start working on talks, like all that stuff that kind of blog, blogging, vlogging, whatever, all that stuff that builds your career is that is having that lack of balance sometimes necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Is it good? I don't know. Was it necessary for me? Yeah. I didn't have, dude, like you have to take into account too. Not everybody comes from the same background. Some people don't have like some sort of cybersecurity degree, which might may or may not help them. I really don't know. I, I can honestly say, I don't know that I've ever factored that in when I interview somebody. I don't know if you do or if anybody else does, but I think there are people that have to work a little bit harder coming from different backgrounds um, to get into their career and, and, and have, have an, have a good personal professional brand. Yeah. So anyways, that's my little rant, Seth, because I, I do think it's important to, to admit that like, no, some of us got here by just working, cra- like doing crazy shit. That's, yeah. You know. No, I, I mean, it, it definitely is right. Like, uh, you know, it's, I, I, you know, at some point it was a passion or it is a passion, right? Like, and so, you know, it's, it's generally what you're interested in, but I know a lot of people that have, it's, it's just a job and it, it works out. It works out great. They use the, you know, the resources provided by an employer to actually, you know, push that through. I mean, obviously, like you and I do the podcast, we do other things so we're super interested in it. We travel for it. Um, I, you know, now that we're more established in our careers, I think most of the, the external stuff that I actually consume um, media wise and like learning wise, it's still it still is focused on security in general. But I found ways to actually keep the keep other things in play. Um, so that I don't go completely de- off that deep end. Like I did again in my twenties, just like you, right. Where it was, I worked all day doing it stuff. And then at night I was, you know, implementing things at home and writing, um, web apps and exploring, you know, security features, but was outside of what my normal day to day was, um, but e- even then I probably didn't go as far as you did as far, you know, from a um, from a, you know, just a scheduling perspective, right? Like just how my, my life has been structured. It's, you know, if I don't get like a certain number of hours of sleep, I, you know, recognizing what that actually is, um, the rest of my life goes to hell, right? Like that's just, it is just what it is. And 
Yeah. You, you've got to be able to recognize that at some level. And maybe as you get older, you do just naturally because you just can't function on, you know, three or four hours of sleep like you could when you were 22. I don't know. Oh, definitely not. Yeah. Well, you know, the second I tried doing that, I got sick uh, after Vegas. So in fact, I'm still dealing with a little bit of the, the nausea and uh, like, even now yep. I'm feeling a little bit of nausea as we're, as we're talking, it just keeps coming in waves and, you know, I did the COVID test or whatever. It says not COVID, but uh, man, it's been a rough, it's been a rough week coming, coming back or a couple of weeks um, whew, for real. Um, anyways, I did want to get to this last question about Talos. So because Mark Hoops also had a great answer for it, uh, I want to yep. put my spin on it. So let me just put his, um, his question out there. This is regarding our last episode, episode 215. If you haven't listened to it, it's a lot about AI related stuff and how you can use it to supercharge your AppSec program and stuff like that. Anyway, so his uh, statement, finally got to listen to the DEF CON wrap up podcast. And one thought that occurred to me is that I'm noticing two concurrent thoughts in AppSec as far as LLMs go. One, it's a tool that can accelerate experts, but still needs that expert knowledge to have intuition or know what is being hallucinated. Two, it's a tool that can be used to assist non-experts, enabling developers who aren't security-minded to get a lot of help quickly. So again, it's a tool that can be used to assist non-experts, so probably like developers, uh, and enable them to uh, get things done quickly, even if they don't have that security mind. So he said, those two, those two thoughts seem at, odd to me, at odds to me. If it still requires an expert to have an idea of what is both uh, BS or not, it feels like it may preclude any products help, helping developers as they, they don't, like the developers themselves, don't know what is BS or not. Uh, thoughts or perspectives I may be missing, um, is that not true? So they're not at odds, and I'll explain, uh, I'll explain why here in just a moment. So uh, um, just to reiterate, there's the greater LLM world. Uh, there's the chat GPT interface. You can go in and type things and, and all of that. All that stuff is very vanilla. It's just, you know, 185 billion data points, just 185 billion data points, the LLM bits behind it. It's nothing specific. What you mentioned in your first bullet point was an expert's knowledge base. Now, this is exactly what the article I posted uh, last week. You can see it in our Slack. It's uh, got, um, it's from LangChain, or excuse me, it's about using LangChain to use your own con context, your inputs, as well as your own data, and then chain that with an existing LLM out there to produce some information. You're absolutely right. You need the expert knowledge base. That's what that article is about. It's about creating your own expert knowledge base and then using that knowledge base as the thing that you reference to answer questions. So let's start there. You mentioned hallucin hallucinations. Things like hallucinations are just answering things inaccurately. While maybe not 100% always impossible to prevent, I, I'm saying that because I don't, I don't honestly know if it's 100% all the time, you know, if you're able to prevent that. But I can tell you a high, high percentage you are able to, to stop. Um, the reason is you do some prompt engineering, you manage your context. Um, that helps keep hallucinations to, an, to, a, to, a, to a minimum. Um, there's some other stuff you can do. You can train, of course, you can train on your own data, but that's not the point because that's a lot of work. It, honestly, you can get going very quick by creating your own expert knowledge base. And, and then, yeah. The other thing you can do is if developers find that whatever answer, so besides like giving them highly contextualized, highly specific, highly controlled information that's coming from you, your knowledge base, uh, besides that, you can also have them actually score whether or not the answer provided was useful or not. And you can use that to actually train, you know, your model on whether whether or not it needs to be giving that same answer to the similar question or same question elsewhere. Um, so it's they're they're not at odds with each other because yes, of course, it, it can be perhaps the small percentage of time where it's not a hundred percent accurate for sure. There's a lot you can do to get to very 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 accurate. Um, and when you are doing a, a very 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 accurate set of analysis. Uh, I'd argue you're ahead of what we have right now. Show, show me how that's a worse uh, a worse spot than we are right now, and I'll I'll admit I'm wrong. But until somebody can, which nobody has, I'm going to say it's a it's a it's a value add. Um, but I think it's a very like poignant question because it's the same question or the same kind of um, 
wouldn't even call it cynicism, but like, uh, you know, sort of due diligence that that people are, 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 it's the same kind of question that keeps coming up. Anyways. All right. Just wanted to address that before we went off air. Cause I thought that was such a really, I didn't want to even respond to it in Slack. Cause I really was like saving it for this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, and that's essentially what Mark said, right? Mark, let's, yeah. let's put Mark's response up here. Mark said, my experience has been that for a task where I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, so for example, coding a website in a new framework, uh, LLMs can get me to a functional product in dramatically less time than searching stack overflow for every question. So that, that is a general LLM question. It's not even highly specific. But if the yep. project actually matters, I'd absolutely want an expert to review my final product before it was used. Now, this is where expert knowledge bases. That's why you create your own expert knowledge base in the, in the form of a vector BD, uh, BD, DB. And then you reference that when you chain it, uh, when you chain all your bits together with an LLM. In terms of secure development, an LLM could help a programmer avoid a lot of security efforts with low effort, but couldn't promise avoiding all errors. So you still need an expert to invest some time at the end. Absolutely. That's exactly. In areas where I'm an expert, the LLM can turn out text code in minutes that I can spend a few more reviewing and end up with a product that would probably have taken me an hour otherwise. So in both cases, LLM makes me more productive, but needs a knowledgeable human to sign off on the output. And that's absolutely right. I think the important thing to remember is that that knowledge base comes from, from you. You, you yep. have control over that. Yeah. And, and and that's what I was trying to go out to, like in my response was, yeah, it's, he's right. You know, if we just turn an LLM over and expect a developer to ask, you know, security questions, uh, especially a general LLM like ChatGPT and get out answers that secure their code, that's probably not going to be the case. If you don't, you, if you haven't supplemented with an expert's knowledge base and expert system, um, and that's where I really, I really think we're going to start seeing uh, LLMs or expert system LLMs come into play, right? Um, where we'll train our own vector database or our own own set with our knowledge base as secure code reviewers, and then we'll present that to the world as far as like, hey, if you've got questions here, or I mean, the stuff you guys are doing at Dry Run as well to help help developers actually answer those questions that's that's where it's going to come more into play than necessarily just turning over, you know, generic LLMs or generic GPTs, whatever, to to developers or people in general. Yeah. Yeah, don't do that. Oh, my God. Don't do that. Yeah. You will definitely have hallucinations. You'll have wrong answers. And who knows how far out, 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 out there it can get. You have got to manage it yourself and use your own knowledge base. You know, I mean, to give you a concrete example of what I mean, Let's say, let's say uh, Leisure Shoot Larry. Let's say Leisure Shoot Larry is an absolute madman expert in the Laravel PHP web framework. He knows all of the nuances. He knows all the edge cases. He knows all the important parts of, the, of that, that framework and that code base that if touched may signify risk. He knows all those things, right? So what Larry should do is put all that stuff into a PDF or into a text file or whatever, and then vectorize that and reference it. Does that make sense? I mean, it's, yeah, that's a concrete way that you can really get some very highly accurate information out and then tell your prompt. If you don't know the answer, don't answer, you know? Yeah. Simple way to get started. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I'll be interested. I mean, we, we've got some ideas like, like I think we teased it out last week on, you know, how to, how to implement some of what we're doing for secure code review in LLMs um, that'll be coming down the pipe soon for the course. Um, But you know, in addition to that, think about how you can turn that into your own expert LLM, your own expert system and speed up your own process. Um, I mean, where it starts for, I, I mean, I think where it started for you and I definitely was Copilot, right? The ability to speed yeah. up the, the the framework dev and just like flushing out, you know, it wasn't always right what it would predict, but it was close enough that, you know, just typing in, creating new functions, creating unit tests, like other things became a lot easier to do. And we're just going to spin that to the next level. That's really what it boils down to. It's funny that you say that. I was writing code this morning and I went and I defined a function. And I guess based off of the function name and the inputs it was taking, I just recognized immediately exactly what I was looking for. And it correctly, I was like, oh, I just hit tab. And it like filled out an entire function the exact way I wanted it to fill out. I was like, Yep. Dang. All right. Cool. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, that was easy. <laughs> so, which is great too. You know? So, 
Well, anyway, what I um, found, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What I found as well is when you know I fire up a new system and I haven't installed like the Copilot whatever for a Visual Studio extension, and I like go to hit Tab because I'm like, oh, I'm starting to code, and I'm like, ah, now I'm becoming dependent on it, right? Like as far as just like in the um, in terminal, right? Like being able to tab through functions, I'm tabbing through code. Um, anyway, um, sweet, man. Uh, we've been going for an hour. I know it, 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 this is how it always goes on the podcast. We think that we're like, we don't have a lot to talk about. And then Ken gets opinionated and all of a sudden we have like, we've filled an hour, right? That's how it goes. Didn't do that. Sorry. Yeah. Not sorry. Yeah. Um, sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, Okay, hold on. I want to I want to answer to this before. Hold on. I asked a question in Slack, and maybe before we jump. Oh, yeah. See, that's the thing. The yeah, survivor bias for not. Yeah, exactly. Because I asked one, because one was saying like, hey, you know, like I yeah, I did the major burnout thing for sure. I did X Y Z, and it caused X Y Z. And I was like, well, but my question is, do you feel at the end it was necessary? He, he mentions it's true. True. I mean, maybe it's like survivor bias or you know just sort of some level of bias towards well yeah it worked for me and but you know is that the right way yeah exactly i don't know if that works for everybody but um you know i, I feel like it's it, it's it's something it's something our peers said i don't feel acknowledged enough which is like yeah no of course it's better to do it xyz way but like the reality is how did you get to where you're at where yeah. you're going around speaking and you know you're doing your career is where you want it to be and, and all that. Did you do it that way? And it's like, well, be honest about what really brought you there. Um, sometimes yeah. it's just like pure crazy. It is. Amounts it's of just work. like we, we, well, it, so it's, it's work. Right. But there are a lot of people that didn't actually make it. And they also put in the work, right. It's being right. in the right place, right place at the right time. Um, just like, time. I, I mean, anything in life, right. Like I, I feel super fortunate for like how my career has gone, but I know a part of it, right. Like was just being in the right place, knowing the right people that were putting together like whatever security team at that time um, to actually spur it along and, you know, launch me into the section or into the career that I wanted. And then just taking advantage of the opportunities that are in front of you. Not everybody has that. And we have to acknowledge that, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of just being lucky and being, you know, hey, you sure. know, it there's worked that out. too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, but yeah, it, it's also, you know, yeah. 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 You could, I'm just saying, you could argue networking is as equally as important. Yeah. But to get to that networking, it helps to have something interesting you bring to the table. So I don't <laughs> yep. think, I don't think, regardless though, like I'll say this, I don't think, I think, or I think regardless, hard work will always put you in a better place. Yeah. I don't think, I, I don't know that you need to kill yourself to that, you know, not live, obviously not literally, you know, I don't think you need to burn yourself out is what I'm trying to say, but Hey, yeah. you know, sometimes it works. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, and there's, I, I don't know, like I've seen a lot of people that just want to hand it handed to them as well. Right. Not, and, and this just isn't in, you know, it security in general, but across the, like just, life in general right like you know people have expectations that things should just be given to them um, because of who they are or whatever you know whatever it, it happens to be um so just showing up and being willing to learn being willing to put in the time being willing to take on tasks that may or may not have something to do with you uh you know or with your specific expertise right like you know having this like growth mindset of Hey, I'm always going to, I'm always going to need to be working on myself and my own knowledge base in order to succeed goes a long way as opposed to, Hey, I'm already the, you know, the top dog and I should know everything. Right. I, I and I don't know if we say this enough, but I still suffer from imposter syndrome uh, on a daily yeah. basis. I read some of these articles, I read some research and I'm like, damn, I, you know, there's things that I need to improve on. There's things that I need to learn to, to keep abreast of what's going on. It may not be everything, but there's still stuff that, you know, that I feel like I'm insufficient on. Um, so that's always going to be, a, be the case. Um, even though, even when you are an expert in a field, there's always new stuff that comes around. 
Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Same, same. Constantly trying to keep on top of things. Things shift so frequently. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, good. I, it was a therapeutic episode at the very least, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, fun. And I appreciate everybody who's, who stuck through that one. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Really, seriously, you know, it's always fun to chat with folks. It's, I think that's the most fun about this podcast is we get to talk to people every week and yep. hear, hear their feedback. Yeah. Hear their experiences. Right. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not just about us. So, um, yeah. So appreciate right. everybody's interaction today. Um, if you don't have a t shirt, let us know. If you want some absolute absolute swag, some of the new stickers, whatever it is, reach out on Slack. And yeah, consider us for uh, Texas Cyber Summit and DEFCON trainings in Bellevue. Anything else, Ken, before we call it for today? Um, no, just everybody, thank you for uh, for listening. And uh, we'll see you, I think, next week. Are we on next week? Are you good for it? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I am. It's just the Same. day after Labor Day. So we will see you all next week. So. Thanks, everyone.